Welcome to today's episode of Ownership Matters, a podcast for homeowners and resident-owned communities, brought to you by Rock USA. I'm Paul Bradley. And I'm Mike Bullard. We have a great guest for you today. We're joined by Rock USA Capital's loan officer, Kevin Porter. If your resident-owned community is a Rock USA Capital borrower, there's a good chance that Kevin has walked the streets of your community and met with your board of directors. When he's not helping generate loans, Kevin is passionate about energy efficiency. In fact, he serves on the board of directors of Clean Energy New Hampshire. That's right. Let me give you a little bit more background on Kevin. Kevin Porter has more than 15 years of real estate finance experience, including single-family, multifamily, and energy efficiency lending. Prior to joining Rock USA Capital in February 2015, Kevin worked for two community development financial institutions in Connecticut and a company development credit union in the Bronx, New York. As loan officer, Kevin manages all aspects of Rock USA Capital's loan origination during the pre- and post-purchase process. Kevin has a bachelor's degree in economics from Bates College and a master's degree in economics with a focus on community development from the New School for Social Research. Kevin serves on the board of directors of Clean Energy New Hampshire. Kevin, thanks for joining us on this episode of Ownership Matters. You are the first Rock USA staff member to be on the show, and we are honestly pretty thrilled to have you. Can you quickly tell our listeners what your job here at Rock USA Capital entails? Sure, and thanks for having me. So I'm the loan officer with Rock USA Capital. So I usually work with newly formed rocks, initially providing pre-development financing to get due diligence done, engineering reports, appraisals, that sort of thing. And ideally, that leads to an acquisition, providing acquisition and in some cases, construction financing to get the property purchased and in some cases, improved. Great. In your free time, among other things, you serve as the vice chairman of Clean Energy New Hampshire. Can you tell us more about this organization? And I mean, really, what sparked your interest in renewable energy? So I've worked in housing finance for pretty much my whole career, both single family and multifamily finance. And for a number of years, I worked for a shop that did a lot of energy efficiency lending, both on the single family and multifamily side, boilers, heat pumps, windows, you name it. And uh, coming up here to New Hampshire in 2014, I still had that energy uh, efficiency sort of sort of passion and interest and wanted to stay involved. Got connected to Clean Energy New Hampshire and came on the board in 2015, I think it was, and I've been on the board ever since. And uh, Clean Energy New Hampshire is a statewide organization involved in advocacy and training and, and convening around issues of renewable energy and energy efficiency, and has helped get a lot of good things uh, done here in New Hampshire. Great, Kevin. Let me add to Mike's welcoming you to Ownership Matters, and thank you very much for all you do here at Rock USA to make resident ownership viable and successful. Your work here is stellar, and greatly appreciate all your efforts on behalf of co-ops. And I love your interest in energy efficiency. Just recently, we interviewed Ron Palmer in Geneseo, Lakeville Village Cooperative. Of course, they have a very impressive solar array up there, so Maybe we could just kick off with some solar. What are you seeing in the solar space for resident-owned communities? And what are some of the benefits for co-ops to think about solar? There's a lot of interest right now. And we've seen solar projects either be completed or get underway in a number of states. New Hampshire has three. New York has the one that you mentioned. Maine has one that's in the initial stages. And we've also seen some community solar shares in Minnesota, which is a little bit different structure, but we can talk about that as well. 
maybe starting with New Hampshire, because that's where most of the work has been done. Clean Energy New Hampshire was involved maybe four or five years ago in some legislation to get some funding specifically for rocks, actually, were mentioned in the legislation. One of the issues with solar is that it can sometimes be harder to reach certain segments of the population, and in particular, manufactured housing can be one of the harder to reach segments. So this legislation provided for some funding specifically for resident communities. Why is it harder, Kevin? Well, there are a few issues. Number one, obviously, if you don't own the land, very often solar panels will be mounted on the ground. So if you don't own the land, you don't have that option. And, and, and many manufactured homes are in land lease communities. Also, the roofs. Manufactured homes have, have smaller roofs, not always greatly situated for roof-mounted solar. And again, going back to the the, the ownership piece or, or lack thereof, sometimes you're limited in, in terms of what you can install either on your home or, or in your yard. And obviously, with, with the rock, a lot of those issues are solved because it's owned as a, as a co-op. So it's always seemed like an easier way, traditionally more difficult to reach the segment of the population. Driving down a little bit deeper, there are a number of ways you can do solar in a resident-owned community. Not to get too much in the, in, into the, the weeds here, you may hear the term power purchase agreement. You may hear community solar. The simplest thing would be to simply lease the land to a developer and let them do all the hard work. And you just get the revenue stream from the lease. Sure. That's what they did at Lakeville Village, I think, right? That's right. And I think from what I've seen so far, that seems to me to be the best way to go. Rock boards have enough to worry about without having to structure a solar deal and then the financing and the permitting and the maintenance and operations and all that. So. There are certainly other models that have been done and can, can be explored. But again, I think, I think sort of that straight lease model is where we'll see the most traction going forward. And as a lender, I'm always looking at ways to help our borrowers either reduce their expenses or increase ancillary sources of revenue. Anytime they can do one of those two things or both, it means lower lot rents, lower monthly housing expense for the homeowners that live there. And solar can really do both of those things. You're generating electricity. So... Either you need to buy less electricity or you can sell that electricity back to the grid or get a lease payment from a developer, depending on how you structure it. So to me, that's the bottom line, reducing housing costs for the homeowners to live there. And also, I might add stability. Electricity costs, energy costs are, are constantly going up and down. It's very hard to predict. If you have a solar array in your community, you typically know what your costs are and you can kind of predict what your revenue is going to be. Particularly if it's financed, you know what your loan payments are going to be. So it sort of smooths out those variations and expenses, which can be very helpful. Kevin, if you take a look at the map of the rocks that Rock USA works with, the vast majority of them are across the northern part of the country. Is that an issue or is today's solar work just as well in Minnesota and Montana as it would in Texas and Florida? Yeah, I mean, in the northern states, we are still very well situated for solar. I mean, Germany, which is more north than we are, has more solar penetration than the U.S. Some places like Washington State, for example, it would be a tough sell, A, because of the cloudiness, but also because of all the cheap hydroelectric power out there. But for places like Minnesota or New England, very well situated for solar. Actually, solar panels like cool weather. As they get really hot, the efficiency tends to go down. So sort of optimal conditions for solar panel would be kind of a, a sunny spring day with a nice breeze, not too hot. And we have a long day with lots of sunlight. And, and we sort of get a lot of those here in the northern states. Interesting. So it sounds like there's a ton of great solar projects happening in rocks across the country. But many, as you know, many of the rocks we work with don't have acres of unused land to put a solar field on. Are there any cost-saving energy projects those rocks could look into? For sure. As we used to say in the energy efficiency financing business, 
have your energy efficiency vegetables before you have your solar dessert. <laughs> Generally speaking, the return on investment is going to be better for energy efficiency than it is for solar. And typically, you know, we, we can sort of look at this, at this in two ways. We can look at the individual homeowners and we can look at the community as a whole. So maybe we'll start with talking about individual homeowners. And for those cases, insulation and lighting are typically going to be your best payback. So seal up any air leakage, blow in some insulation into the walls and the ceiling. That's going to have a huge impact on comfort, and that's going to have a huge impact on reducing your heating bills and also your cooling bills, I might add. Also lighting. If you have any old incandescent bulbs, getting those replaced with LEDs, huge cost savings there. Generally, I don't know, a couple of years payback and you've made back your money and then you're just saving more money going forward. One thing Rock USA has done in a few different states is to work with the weatherization programs. We call this close proximity weatherization. So most states have programs funded from ratepayer funds that go to support energy efficiency efforts for homeowners and businesses. And we, we can all take advantage of these programs if we're a ratepayer, which pretty much everybody is. So what we've done is we worked with the, the weatherization crews and, and we helped set them up with resident-owned communities. You know, so much of these crews spend their time driving from house to house. It's a huge waste of time. By being able to go into a rock and be able to work with two, three, four homeowners in a day and not spend half the day driving around is huge. It's much more efficient for them. They can get more work done. So this was done in New Hampshire, I think, seven years ago, and a nice report came out about that. So we've been sharing that, and now they've been doing something similar down in Massachusetts and again, it starts with the lighting and the insulation, but they'll they'll do an even deeper dive. They'll sometimes do what's called a blower door test. So you can see where the air leakage is in the home. They'll test the efficiency of the heating and cooling equipment. They'll look at your faucets, see if there's any leakage they could stop there. Kind of soup to nuts. And this is typically done at no cost to the homeowner. Wow. Well, that's fantastic. Kevin, for people listening in their states or regions, typically, how would they go about finding this weatherization program? What do people look up to find who their providers are in their areas? Great question. So typically the way this works, these ratepayer funds tend to be managed at program administration staff at the utility companies. An example here in New Hampshire, we have New Hampshire Saves. There's the Mass Save program in Massachusetts. You can often get to them through your electric or natural gas utility and they can direct you to the right person. But that's typically how the programs are administered. Okay, great, great. Sometimes rocks can be confusing for the program staff because it's kind of part multifamily, part single family. So that's kind of the role we play at Rock USA occasionally is helping them understand this kind of unique structure with a cooperative ownership. And you have both homeowners, but also some of the community, you know, common areas. So we, we help work with them on that. Kevin, you mentioned some things that homeowners could do, some early steps here to improve on their energy efficiency and cut down on their energy costs. One time I heard somebody describe it as, if you had $500, here's how I would start. Or if you had $1,000 to spend on this, here's how I would start. Can you sort of run through the what's the most practical approach here? Because I remember him saying that many people think, oh, replace the windows. And he said, not much bang for your buck in terms of windows. Other reasons to replace windows, but if saving money on your energy bills is your top priority, that's like one of the last things to do. So what would your approach be? Absolutely agree on the windows. Uh, and I think that the first place to start would be insulation and lighting. And honestly, sometimes it doesn't even need to be $500. With the weatherization program, sometimes these things are provided at no cost at all to the homeowner. So anytime you can do that and replace those old lights and seal up any leaky parts of the house and get better insulation in the walls and the ceiling, you're going to be more comfortable and have lower heating and cooling costs for sure. At the community-wide level, 
you know, we deal a lot with water and sewer lines here at Rock USA Capital and throughout the network. So dealing with those leaks, I mean, if you're on a well, uh, that water's not free. I mean, you're, you're paying electricity to run those well pumps and that distribution system. So any water that you're leaking is electricity that you're using, uh, money that you're spending and, and water that you're not using. So finding ways to fix those leaks there. I might use that to say away a little bit to talk about some of the energy upgrades we've seen at the, at the community-wide level. And again, going back to lighting, going to be your best payback there. We've seen a lot of racks have good success with LED street lighting. Folks have probably seen these. You have either town lights or, or privately owned street lights, their LEDs. The light quality they put out is really just tremendous. So you have lower costs to operate them, lower maintenance costs. And the quality of light they put out is just so much better. So I can't say enough about LED lighting. So Kevin, I think a lot of our listeners would be key to hear some of the details there if you have any specifics. Can you talk about any rocks that have done LED lighting, for example, and what their return on the investment was? What's the turnaround time on that? Well, I know in Vermont, I think the project was almost entirely covered by the ratepayer funded program. So really very little cost or if any out of the the pocket of, of the rock. In Massachusetts, it was part of a larger project. So I, I don't have the specifics on the cost, but I know it was, again, fairly, fairly minimal. I think I heard coming out of Taunton, Mass and Colonial Estates and their LED streetlight replacement project that the payback was as little as one month, the savings from one month of of streetlight electricity was all it took to pay the price of replacing with LEDs. I still question it because it sounds unbelievable, but I know there's tremendous benefits to LED streetlight replacement. Well, I remember underwriting one rock in Massachusetts when we did the acquisition financing and their electricity bills were $45,000 a year. When you look at the expenses of a community, you see where you might be able to find some savings. And when you have $45,000 in electricity, you're You'd be pretty sure there's going to be somewhere you can find some savings. Wow. That's phenomenal. Whoa. So out in the energy efficiency field that you've been talking a lot about lately and educating me is battery storage. Can you talk about what's going on in the world of battery storage that would be of interest and potentially of use to co-op leaders? Yeah, it's pretty exciting and it's still pretty new, but a lot of good stuff is happening and a lot of innovation is happening. So really, with solar being deployed more and more and the need to have continual electricity fed into the grid, the need for storage is really picking up. And actually, with electric vehicles, one of the ancillary benefits of electric vehicles is that they will be a big part of grid modernization. I'm not sure you heard this, but the F-150 Lightning actually has bi-directional electricity. So that can be used to power your home for up to three days in the case of a power outage. But uh, until we all get F-150 Lightnings, (laughs) batteries are going to be a big part of this. And these are basically, just as it sounds, they're giant batteries. They look like storage trailers. And they basically pull in and, and dispatch electricity to and from the grid as needed. This can really save everybody money. Here in New Hampshire, we spend a huge amount of money on capacity payments to what are called peaker plants, power plants that run very few days out of the year, but they need to be there just in case those coldest days of winter and those hottest days of summer. So we have electricity that can support the grid and keep the lights on and heating and cooling going when we need it. Battery storage is a much or will be a much more cost-effective way to keep electricity flowing to and from 
the grid. So what does that look like for a rock that's interested in delving into that? Sure. So we haven't seen anybody do it yet, but we do have one company that has put out some numbers for us. And what they will do is upfront, they will pay the rock $1,000 for a six-month option. And during that period, they'll kind of do an in-depth analysis of the property to see if it's a good fit. How close are they to transmission lines? What sort of connection to the grid do they have? That sort of thing. If it is a good fit, they will pay about $6,000 a year per megawatt of storage, which is about one acre's worth of these batteries. So again, this is very similar to leasing to a solar developer. There's not a lot of paperwork or analysis that needs to be done. You're simply leasing some excess land for this energy infrastructure and getting a cash payment for it. So closeness to transmission lines is something we heard from Ron Palmer as well as a critical factor in assessing a site for solar arrays. Kevin, what's the significance of that to those of us who aren't in the solar field? What's the significance of being close to a transmission line? And and if a co-op is close to one, how excited about that should they be? And can I just add on to that? When you say transmission line, what exactly are we talking about? The high tension wires or just a telephone pole? Oh, great. Yeah. So access to transmission lines is a big deal for larger solar projects. Typically, you need to be on the three-phase lines. So the more robust power lines that can transport large volumes of electricity over greater distances. So if you have a more rural community, that may be a problem. The economics of a large solar project may not be feasible. However, Q batteries here, using batteries just, just to lease to a developer is one method. If you have a community that's not on a, an adequate transmission line, you could potentially install solar with storage and effectively kind of, I don't want to say off-grid, but you're not relying on that interconnection so much to the rest of the grid because you're just, just simply storing your own electricity when you have high production and then drawing back down you know, when it's night, nighttime or cloudy, that sort of thing. Wow, fascinating. As you know, rocks are run by volunteers who are putting in lots of hours to keep their communities up and running smoothly. I think, at least when I'm thinking of this, and I'm assuming other people think of projects like this, they're worried about the size and the scope of a project and the extra time and effort it's going to take to get it off the ground. Are there any resources out there that would help rocks who are worried about the commitment constraints get a better idea of what, what they'd be signing up for? Definitely. And every state's going to be different, but every state are going to have people that are interested in this and want to work with rocks to get this sort of thing done. Here in New Hampshire, or really all of New England, up at the Vermont Law School, there's an energy clinic, and they've been hugely helpful to Rock New Hampshire and their team on these two or three projects that have, that have come together here in New Hampshire. Kevin, tell us about community choice aggregation. First of all, what is it? Great question. Uh, sometimes called community power. Think of this as essentially a bulk purchase and a discount, something we know a little bit about here at Rock USA. So you and I on our, our electricity bill for our home, we pay the utility company and maybe there's a default supplier. In recent decades, the utilities have, have generally gotten out of the generation business. So while we pay them for the generation charges, typically it's some other entity that is generating the electricity. What community choice aggregation or community power does, it allows a large group of buyers to essentially use their their negotiating power to buy electricity in bulk and choose their supplier. In New Hampshire, there's been legislation in the last year or so that has passed. And it, this is really for, for municipalities, but I, I hope and expect that this can expand to uh, other buyers such as rocks. Whereas you can go out on the open market and show a generator the 
large amount of electricity you'll be buying and, and you can use that to negotiate. So not only can you get a better price because you're buying so much, but you can also choose where your electricity is coming from. Maybe folks would prefer to buy their electricity from a local hydroelectric operator or a local solar operator, as opposed to buying electricity that's being shipped in from, from out of state. This is fairly new here in New Hampshire. Uh, we're kind of in community power version 1.0. But I hope to see in the next couple of years some way for this to be able to, to work at the micro level down with individual rocks. That's great. Great, Kevin. Thank you so much. What a wonderful deep dive into solar and energy efficiency you've just provided in a really short amount of time. Tremendous insight. Thank you. I think there no doubt are some links that are going to be really important to post for listeners who want to learn more about the solar opportunities. And we'll do that in the show notes for sure. Clearly, this is a passion project for you here at Rock USA, something that pulls on your both your expertise, but also your real passion for energy efficiency and solar. And I'm glad that you're leading this work here at Rock USA. The bulk of your work here at Rock USA, though, is something that you're also quite passionate about, I know. And you have the enviable position at Rock USA of largely, I'd say 90% of the time, being the first Rock USA employee that gets to visit a new co-op because you are a loan officer here, the loan officer here. You visit with every prospective borrower eh, towards the tail end of due diligence, uh, around loan commitment time and pre-closing as a general rule. One of the things that you do is the day after the closing is you send an email out to the entire staff just sharing your insights into that community from your visit there. It's become a very popular feature and people celebrate the great stories and the success of these co-ops. So I'd love you to maybe pull from your long list of co-op visits and share a story with our listeners that maybe Kevin would just give them a little insight to you as a person and why this work resonates with you. For me, in the last month, I've been in Washington State, Minnesota, and Vermont, visiting communities, walking around communities, and, and meeting with board members. And coming out of the pandemic, I really miss that, a very rewarding part of my job. And also, I feel very necessary. I mean, you can look in pictures and read reports, but there's no substitute for getting out and meeting with board members in person and being able to walk around a community. Man, I mean, some stories... I can think about one group that formed as an association, I think it was 12 years ago with the sole goal of buying their community and then finally had the opportunity to do that. It was part of a portfolio sale and we were able to provide acquisition financing with the support of CDI and, and Rocky Western Network providing technical assistance. So really great when you see a board that has been at this for 12 years trying to get to that point and then finally do it. We, in some cases, have seen communities that have been neglected by sellers. So we've seen more and more kind of absentee out-of-state owners in this business in the last few years. So to see co-ops come together and be able to buy their community and take control and improve their community and preserve it for the long haul has been very rewarding as well. That's great. And I love the look down the road here. I mean, that's really encouraging. I'm hopeful that this discussion helps spark an interest, if you will, in uh, energy efficiency in resident-owned communities all across the country. One thing here on Ownership Matters, we always end by opening up the floor to the guests to provide any final thoughts you might have. Is there anything, any words of wisdom that you'd like to share as we head for the end here? Maybe just that, you know, when I started as an energy efficiency lender, I didn't know a whole lot about the business, but really was blown away by the kinds of savings that are possible. But of course, it takes money up front. That can really show how powerful energy efficiency financing can be. So I think 
getting the ball rolling, hey, whether it's an individual homeowner or, or a rock board, taking that first step to see to see what's possible, whether it comes from rebate programs or additional financing from their current lender, I think it's always worth taking a look to see what's possible. Every dollar saved on energy is another dollar into that homeowner's pocket or in the rocks budget that can be used for something else. So energy efficiency is good for our economy. It's good for our country and it's good for the environment. All right. That's great, Kevin. Thank you very much for joining us. Wonderful to take a deep dive into energy efficiency and all the many paths you let us down in this subject area. So thanks so much and appreciate your good work here. All right. Thank you. Wow, Paul, what a great conversation with Kevin. He had some really great tips for rocks interested in lowering their expenses through energy savings. And some of those things were really simple, like just replacing old light bulbs with LEDs. Wow, sure was, Mike. I still can't get over how quickly Colonial Estates was able to recoup their investment on their streetlight project. That's really a worthwhile investment for any co-op with big electricity bills. Yeah, and I really enjoyed learning about the battery storage options, too. I've not seen one of those in action, but Kevin provided a ton of things for rocks to think about. As always, thanks for joining us on today's episode of Ownership Matters. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Yes, thank you, everyone. Be well. 